Episode 6, Charlie Hoffman. Welcome to the Magnifying Excellence Podcast, powered by Exleet.com. Excellence is a journey, not a destination. Here's your host, Brian Hurlbert. An excellent hello to all of you. It's time for another journey of excellence when our guests talk exclusively about their pursuits of excellence like never before. As always, it's difficult to follow quotes of excellence from Football Hall of Famer Marcus Allen, entertainment icon Oprah Winfrey, and crossover golf superstar Tiger Woods. But as previous guest Napoleon McCallum shared with us, any time is a great time to talk about excellence. So let's continue our journey together. I humbly thank you for listening, and I'm also grateful to our guest, Charlie Hoffman, for being with us. His journey of excellence was winding and has culminated in a 15-year PGA Tour career and more than $30 million in earnings. He'll candidly share his story during this episode. Part of achieving excellence is dealing with failure and overcoming the fear of it. For full disclosure, I often wonder, who am I to talk about excellence? But then I realize that those feelings are exactly what this show is all about, realizing our obstacles and finding ways to hurdle them. Each of our guests seem to view excellence as an evolution, not a final destination. And that's a very important approach. Persistence and a continual striving for excellence is what is needed to push forward. And that's what Charlie Hoffman has continually done during his life and career, driven by an overriding mindset. If you don't have any self-belief, you're never gonna get anywhere. Those, those doubters outside are bad, but if you have doubt inside, you're never going to make it. you got to believe you're the best. More impressive than Hoffman's on-the-course accomplishments are how he and his wife Stacy, along with Charlie Hoffman Foundation supporters, have raised more than $3 million for children's charities. Also, Charlie helped the PGA Tour navigate the COVID-19 pandemic as a member of the policy board. No easy task while also trying to balance family, maintain his playing skills, and continue his charity work. Getting to this level of success was in doubt at certain times for Hoffman, like while playing college golf at powerhouse UNLV when he couldn't crack the lineup, even after qualifying for a PGA Tour event as a 19-year-old. That's how good UNLV was at the time. Then, after college, Hoffman earned status on what is now known as the Corn Ferry Tour. He then proceeded to miss his first 16 tournament cuts. No money was coming in and traveling bills were piling up quickly, more than a pressure situation. We'll find out together how he didn't stop believing and much more about his journey of excellence. So, Mr. Believer, how do you define excellence? You know, it, excellence to me, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, but I think to be elite in whatever profession you're in is excellence. Uh, try, to try to be the best in that. For me, obviously, as a professional golfer, I mean, my excellent, I would say, has changed through the years. I mean, I went from a, a kid that I wanted excellence in all sports. I wanted to play everything uh, well and uh, to going to college and 
excellence was getting good grades and uh, playing college golf. And then obviously now it's more, it's not as broad as it was back in the day. Now it's a, a lot tighter spectrum. And uh, I, I strive for excellence and being a, a great professional golfer. And obviously another thing in my, for me is uh, being a great father. And that, that may be tougher than being a golfer, but uh, just being the best at whatever you're focused at doing. Hoffman's career includes four PGA Tour victories and 33 appearances in major championships. He was also a member of the 1998 UNLV National Championship team and then won on the Corn Ferry Tour and route to the PGA Tour. Trying to solve the mystery of golf kept him motivated. Yeah, to stay motivated, I, a lot of people are big goal people. I wouldn't stay I, and write down goals. I've never done that to stay motivated. Uh, I think I think golf in general and why I ended up playing golf, it was so hard. You could never master it. And that's what motivated me is trying to master the game a game that's that you can't master. It, it will always have the last laugh no matter no matter who you are uh, or what you think you are in golf. It's 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 constantly changing from conditions to who you're playing against in a it's it's a game that always keeps me on my toes, and I always quest for more knowledge. Uh, always trying to be better mentally. There's so many aspects uh, in the game of golf that you can improve, and once you uh, think you're good at it, there's probably something else you can improve at in, in, in that game. So, just the con- constant quest to uh, be better. Golf's very unique in, in the sporting world. Is I don't have a coach. I mean, I have coaches, but I, I hire them and I pay them. Uh, but you don't have a coach telling you you need to be in the gym. You don't have a coach telling you you need to be on the putting green for five hours. You don't have somebody telling you where you need to be and when you need to be there. You don't have someone telling you you've got to play this golf tournament. It's only yourself. So you've got to dig deep and take ownership in, in our sport, which is very important. That's that's that. I mean, you have to be self-reliant and self-motivated. And I think that's a crucial part of being a professional golfer. I don't think you meet a professional golfer that's not a very driven person. And I think that is the most important quality to be successful in the game of golf and reach excellence in the game of golf. Hoffman's success can be linked to a very positive outlook with plenty of self-evaluation included. Without that, you're going nowhere, according to Hoffman. It's very, very easy, in my mind, (laughs) self-belief. If you don't have any self-belief, you're never going to get anywhere. Those those doubters outside are bad. But if you have doubt inside, you're never going to make it. You've got to believe you're the best. you got to believe that you can do it. And if there's going to be time, you're going to be doubt yourself. There's no question. That's fine. But when you, you've got to be able to overcome that doubt and prove to yourself that you are the person you look in the mirror and who you want to be. And so that self-belief is a crucially important no matter what you do, a professional golfer, uh, a teenage kid, I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, you got to have self-belief in what you're doing. And sometimes that self-belief is wrong. But when you look in that mirror again, you learn from that mistake and you can become bigger and better from those mistakes. And that's how you become the person you are. I have to reiterate that that self-belief. There's not, there's not one great individual, great businessman, great CEO, president, on and on that doesn't believe they're not doing the right thing. Even sometimes they're wrong. 
But I guarantee you when they're making decisions, they're believing they're believing themselves and they're all making the right. They think at that time they're making the right decision. But I think they're also smart enough to reflect that they may not have made that right decision at that time and grow from those decisions that they made and try to make, the, oh, obviously, all their decisions better. In a solitary sport like golf, with no coaches or teammates, finding inspiration, if not from yourself, can be a challenge. For Hoffman, he found someone in another solitary sport, albeit very different than golf, for motivation. Jeez. Uh, you know, so, someone I, I would say I looked up to, and I might get ahead of myself on some of the questions, but an idol of mine I looked up to as a kid was in a sporting world. I was Tony Hawk. I grew up. I grew up skateboarding. I grew up playing all different sports. I wasn't, I can go on a different tangent about youth sports nowadays and uh, how they, I would say, overplay of one sport. I, I grew up skateboarding, surfing, uh, basketball, football. I mean, you named it soccer. I mean, I played soccer through my senior year of high school. And uh, I think that's very important to, to establish new skills and learn to play with others and team sports and figure out what you need to do. But the guy I looked up to, uh, was Tony Hawk and just how he how he changed that whole world of skateboarding. I mean, he used to be down the, in my mind. It got skateboard was he sort of go down the beach boulevard and sort of cruise back and forth and emulate surfing when there was no surf uh, surf that day. But obviously, Tony Hawk transpired that sport doing a nine under just what he did on the vert walls and and, and the ramps. What's the biggest thing that you admired about Tony Hawk? Just pushing them to the next level, get, being the best at what he did. I mean, he, he, the things he did, I mean, as a kid that grew up skateboarding, I mean, I remember you coming out of the pool or out of the pipe and you get six inches of air was an amazing feat. And he went 30 feet in there and did, and did a 900. I mean, the, the way he just progressed that sport and just in, 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 in a sport that he's an older guy at and the young guys you think would have a major advantage, but he was... A, the guy that always pushed the envelope and pushed the edge. And I mean, I would love watching X Games and what they always done. I mean, they're going bigger and better now in, in those big air ramps. But it seemed Tony just progressed that every that sport as far as it could go during his time. And I think that's excellence. Artist Salvador Dali once said, have no fear of perfection. You'll never reach it. Charlie Hoffman would agree. Yeah, the perfectionism is you always, if you're trying to do something over and over again, you sort of deep, you could go down a rabbit hole, dark hole, and uh, never get out. And that's perfectionism uh, is trying to, I would say, own it or dominate instead of flow with uh, what you have. And the quest for excellence is it's ever changing, it's, ne it's never right in front of you, and you've got to be able to adapt. The quest for perfectionism is doing the same thing over and being perfect, which is impossible. No one's perfect. Uh, and that's where the self-analyzation comes in. You got, you've got to be your own worst critic. You got to, at the end of the day, when I shoot 67 or 65, I go, all right, what do I need to work on? Granted, it was a great day. I may have known I made a couple bag swings that I got away with. All right, I need to work on the driver today. I may have put it amazing and start 76. But I need to credit myself with putting amazing that day. So you got to be your own worst critic, but you got to be your own best fan at the same time. But I think all of us in professional golf are very, very driven people. And, and we all are, uh, I mean, in the quest for excellence, there's no question. I don't think you get on the PGA Tour without that drive. 
A golfing legend from a previous generation who embodies excellence for Hoffman is Greg Norman. Norman won two major titles and was the top player in the world, but Hoffman appreciated him for his on and off the course success, dedication, and go for broke attitude. Yeah, I think Norman, Norman, just the way he can held himself. And I mean, obviously, he was the number one player in the world when I uh, when I was coming up, and uh, he was the guy that always contended in all the majors. But you look at you look at he fought his own demons too. If I didn't win as many tournaments as he should have, but. He uh, he was the guy that I looked up to, and his just the way he played, the attack the golf course, never backed down. And I think that might have cost him some tournaments, but the reality is, I just loved the way he conducted himself and how he and, and attacked life and attacked what he did. And that, and I think it's great. And also to look at a guy that I still look up to is Greg Norman as what he's done off the golf course. He's been bigger and better on his off, off course ventures than he ever was in the on the golf course. And I think that is probably in, in my mind, the most important thing for me at this point is what, what can you do off the golf course? Not just what you can do on the golf course. Imagine you're 19 years old. Imagine you just made the cut in a PGA tour event as an amateur. Then imagine returning to college and your coach doesn't play you in a college tournament the very next week. Charlie Hoffman doesn't have to imagine this scenario. You know, our team was so good, and you got to give looking back, Wade Knight, all the credit in the world, the recruiting he did through those years. I mean, I don't think we were in the top three in the country when I was there for my four years. And we could argue that when we had our qualifying events, they were stronger than the tournaments we were going playing. And uh, it was it was tough as a young kid coming up, uh, and I didn't quite understand understand that. Uh, a good story about that was. I had qualified for the back then the Buick Invitational now the Farmers Insurance Open in San Diego, and uh, and I had Dwayne Caddy for me, and I was I probably she's uh, nineteen no nineteen years old if I had to guess, and uh, I make the cut. I'm nineteen years old, college golf, and I wasn't even playing on the team. I just made a cut in a PGA Tour event, and I wasn't even playing on the team. And the next week. <laughs> they were going to Hawaii and uh coach used the excuse as you can't you're missing too much school, but we all know coaches if they really thought you were a better team, he would have put me out there to play. But the other five guys were six guys were better than me. I ended up not going to the next college event. I just made a cut in the tour event, and that's hard to swallow. With your coach with your coach Kenny for you and following you. It's one of those things that, uh, looking back, it was hard to swallow because you want to play college golf against your peers, but you're like, wait, I just beat some of the best in the world, and I'm not playing on my college team. But you know what? That was motivation, the chip on the shoulder sometimes. And, uh, and I mean, the school of hard knocks, I think guys with chip on the shoulder sometimes uh, succeed more than the guys that were, we'll say, the silver spoon that were always the best and that didn't have to work as hard. I mean, working hard is in my DNA. Uh, it just the the being able to put the time and effort into uh, getting better, and uh, I think that's that helped me not playing those first few years and being humbled and not qualifying and uh, that sort of stuff for the team. And then then we started playing. And I, I guess I was it was the secret sauce because na- and then ninety eight won the national championship. Hoffman's UNLV coach Dwayne Knight is a legend, but he's also known to be strict something that maybe college players ages 18 to 22 don't really appreciate at the time. 
But years later, each golfer usually admits that the lessons learned playing with the Rebels have served them well in life and golf. I think the biggest thing Coach Knight taught me was to be on time, never be late. Uh, it's so much respect. I think people, if you show up on time and get there, because if you have a meeting or something or do anything, and first of all, in golf, you can't show up late or you get disqualified. So that's another another thing. But I think people's time is so valuable. And if it's a show of respect, if you're meeting somebody and you show up five minutes early, not five minutes late, that means you respect their time and what they're doing. And I think that's the most one of the most important things he uh, he gave to me. And obviously, work ethic. He he's a consummate worker and still is there at UNLV. And his work ethic is second to none, raising dollars for the golf program. And and uh, and uh, that that's what made UNLV who they are was by going out to all the local people there. It was a nightmare scenario for Charlie Hoffman. Just one step away from his PGA Tour dream, he missed his first 16 cuts on what was then the nationwide tour. He was over for about half a season. It could have broken him, but he used it as additional motivation. Yeah, you know what? The, the fact that you said college golf, it, it took me a while to get through. Well, after college, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be professional in terms professional and be on the PGA Tour. It didn't work like that. Uh, I got I got good status on the now the Corner Ferry Tour uh, back then. Back then it was a Buy.com Tour, and I was able to get that. But I struggled early. I missed the. I mean, my rookie year, I missed sixteen cuts in a row. I'm like, and that's and I got no money at this point. I'm missing sixteen cuts in a row. I'm staying at Roach Coach Motels, and I'm just trying to get it all together. And then there's uh, then there's years I didn't. I went and traveled and played some mini tour stuff, and uh, but getting that PGA Tour card after a couple more years on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour uh, was the most important thing because there was times that you doubted yourself if you were ever going to get there. I always thought I had the game to play on the PGA Tour more than a game to play on mini tours. I will say a stronger a ball striker than a, a short game uh, putting guy. And I felt those other tours favored that versus the guy that could hit the ball straighter and further. So. I knew once I got out there, at least in my self-confidence, once I got out there, I'd, I'd stay. Now, I'm right. I'm right again. No, but I, no, I was able to, uh, once I did finally break through. But you know what? I would have broke through early right out of college. I don't know if I would have been ready. I don't know. And that might have hurt me more than uh, than going through the school of hard knocks, I guess I'd say. I mean, you see guys coming out at a young age that, that all of a sudden get the stardom and then sort of slowly disappear. And uh, who knows? What's the most vivid thing that you remember learning about yourself during that stretch of 16 cuts in a row? Sorry to bring that up again, but. <laughs> you know what? The, the thing I learned was I'm a fighter. I mean, it, it, it could have knocked a lot of people off their pedestal, but I always believed that I would be on the PGA Tour. And after those 16 cuts, I almost went and got my card few weeks later through tour school another misstep i didn't end up getting my card there but it that that i'm a, that i'm a fighter fighter and i was able to get through those hard times and uh i embraced those tough situations i didn't make them make them uh i would say who who i am make me into who i am i, I made them made me made me stronger in the situations that made me fail Now for a quick pause after our first nine holes with Charlie Hoffman. Thanks again for listening. It's time to ask for a favor and hopefully offer you some value for it. 
please visit xlete.com, that's www.xlete.com, and join our free Magnifying Excellence Club. Just by sharing your email address, you'll receive our first edition ebook, The 10 Life and Business Lessons Learned from Season 1 Guests, plus a chance to win excellence gear. We also hope that if you like what you're hearing, you'll share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Also, post a review to help us share our journey of excellence with others. Now, the back nine with Charlie Hoffman, Mr. Believer. A pinnacle of his professional golf career was earning a spot on the United States President's Cup team in 2017 with a guy named Tiger Woods as the captain. There was excellence everywhere and a lifetime goal was accomplished. Hoffman helped the U.S. to victory and authored one of the most memorable shots of his career. Very tough pitch shot right here. You got to hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite and it's in. Kind of like that. Charlie Hoffman dumps it in. How about that shot? It was in all the way. Wow, he is jacked. Never seen him react in his entire career like that. Yeah, we've talked a lot about college golf, and college golf is more of a team event. And really, for the next X amount of years of my life, since 2000, I turned pro until the President's Cup was, geez, was that 17 or 18, something like that? So 18 years, I didn't really play any team golf. And it, it's something I played a lot of golf with, Phil Michelson, and it's like, how is this guy that's won major championships so driven? I mean, not for the major championships, not for the PGA Tour events. He was so driven to be on those team competitions. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. This is an individual sport. Until you get on a team competition, you're in one. You see how special it is, how that is the bar above everything else, just because you're playing with the best in all of America, playing against the rest of the world or the Europeans, depending on if it's the President's Cup or the... Uh, Ryder Cup. And you know what? The, that That is really the year and goal is to be as good as you can be and represent you, your country and your sport at the highest level. Uh, and and that, that's what back to the, what I my definition of excellence was play the best you can and be the best at your sport and being on the President's Cup team with those guys and those players and having your captain says, Tiger Woods, I mean, I, I remember sitting back in Liberty National uh, and Tiger Woods, my captain. And this guy is the guy that beat me up my whole career and barely ever beat him. And he's not even on the team. Granted, it was injury-based, but I mean, the guy's the captain. I'm like, who would have thought at 40 years old if Charlie Hoffman was going to be on the President's Cup team or Tiger Woods from a kid from California who would have never been Charlie Hoffman. I mean, that's proven all all odds against everything. But it, I mean, it's crazy to see or have him mentor you, coach you. Uh, and then you had, you had Stricker as the, as a coach. You had fear. You had couples was the best. And uh, he had a great group of guys. What's the biggest thing you learned from Tiger that week? You know what? Uh, the biggest thing I learned from Tiger is he still, he still has a presence, even if he's a captain. <laughs> People don't, I mean, he, I mean, he still had the intimidation factor as, a captain versus a player. You always think it's just a player. It's just Tiger's aura around him that makes him so amazing. And uh, he, he's just, he's just a born leader. I mean, the guy is really amazing. 
person and uh he he leads by example of work ethic i mean the guy was injured and he's getting up really working out trying to get better in his body so he can be back for president's cup and and uh i mean at that time we didn't even know if he's gonna play golf again he wasn't sure if he's gonna play golf again but it wasn't because of work ethic and i think his work ethic is second to none and uh, sometimes uh, overshadowed pressure is a part of life and golf do what charlie hoffman does embrace it it's it's funny you ask that i've I've always like felt like I played better under pressure. Like I would say, everything slows down, and I thrive on it. Like I, I consider myself a very average golfer when I go out and play with my brothers and friends and stuff because I'm not as focused on what I'm doing. Because uh, I really don't. I guess I wouldn't say I'm the end. I'm not really going toward the end goal of trying to achieve something in a, in a tournament. So pressure i always i thrive off it and i loved it and obviously you learn how to use it to your advantage instead of adrenaline in golf sometimes can hurt you because you don't you don't want to move too fast you don't want in other sports moving fast and going quicker is going to be an asset but in golf it's not always an asset you can get you can hit the ball too far you can get ahead of yourself so yeah I just, I just loved that pressure, and I was able to feed off it. And I think that's why I, I played all right during the Presidents Cup because I really enjoyed it. I embraced it. You have to embrace that pressure, and obviously, putting yourself in those situations, you get better and better every time you do it. But embracing the challenge is very key to obtain excellence. There are more than three million reasons about how Hoffman and his wife Stacy have helped the less fortunate. When they first formed the Charlie Hoffman Foundation, it was Stacy who inspired Charlie to figure out how they could make the most impact. Giving back has now become a major part of their lives, and he believes a path of excellence should include empathy and the willingness to help others. If you want to support Charlie and Stacy, visit charliehoffmanfoundation.org. There's always someone you can help. You know, it might be little or it might be big, but you can make a difference. And I think a lot of kids these days in different communities all across the country just don't have that stability of someone believing in them. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I sort of lose this before. Is I, I don't want to be remembered what I did on the golf course. I'm, I want to be remembered for what I did off the golf course. And I think that's uh, sort of ingrained in us from the PGA Tour, uh, the, the giving back they do the the millions of dollars the PGA Tour is given back to the local organizations and the host organizations to run the events. It's sort of, it, it's just from a young kid just watching the PGA Tour do that. And then, then being, I was, I was, how I got started in charity was San Diego Junior Golf did a, a charity event in San Diego and Craig Stadler used to do it. And Craig Stadler had moved on into the champions, PGA Tour champions and, and, uh, and moved to Denver and, they came to me is like, do you want to uh, host a junior golf event or not junior golf, but a charity event for San Diego Junior Golf? And I was like, I'm just trying to keep keep my job. I, I mean, I don't think I'm any sort of a name to be able to do this. And my wife and I, or my girlfriend at the time, now wife at the time, uh, sat back and looked and goes, well, how do we make this better and bigger? And how do we give back to more and not get overwhelmed by just doing one event? How do we make the effect or or help more people than just San Diego Junior Golf. And that's when we sat back and started the Charlie Hoffman Foundation. And uh, at the time, we were giving back to the two cities we uh, 
lived in. It was my adopted hometown, Las Vegas, and my hometown of San Diego. And we gave back to numerous charities. And, and we looked back and it was a ton of work. We did, my wife and I pretty much did everything ourselves the first few years. It was so hard. But once it was over and those checks went out, it was so gratifying. And you just wanted to get bigger and better every year. And the smile, I mean, you start you start meeting the people, the charities you you that you help and the children that are affected by the diseases or our mission statements, children's charities and assisted by most of this is one of the charities we give back to. And uh, I mean, from when we started X amount of years ago, 11, 12 years ago, the average age of someone who had cystic fibrosis was late teens, to early twenties. And now they're having families and in, into the forties and just through drug development through different other things that that wouldn't have been able to happen if we didn't we didn't have this foundation and give those dollars dollars to them. And then a few few years back we gave computers to uh people that rode in through that hit our mission statement and just the, the people that were didn't have the ability to have a computer this day and age and we're unfortunate enough that computers our kids that school have computers but there's there's some school districts that don't have computers this kid that got a computer and it was like life changing. He was able to do papers at home. He didn't have to do. And just to see that the joy in their face by being able to donate a computer to an individual is, I mean, it's literally life changing to this to these kids. And to being able to do that, making a pun on the 18th old, that means nothing. I mean, it really does. I mean, is it does it drive me? Does it maybe uh, make me get up in the morning and obtain excellence? Maybe. But the reality is what hopefully makes me a better person is what I can do in the community in which I live in and how I can make a difference with other people in the big picture. Following Charlie's example, part of the Magnifying Excellence podcast is the spotlight and honor excellence where and when it happens. We are reaching out to recognize excellence in young people as a way to help motivate them on the path to excellence. Research shows that authentic recognition and affirmation of young people can make a huge difference, especially when unexpected. Our Magnifying Excellence Club is finding kids to honor. As for Charlie, charity is only part of what he does to give back. For the last couple years, he has sat on the PGA Tour Players Board and was a part of the planning and countless phone calls during the COVID-19 pandemic. He helped the PGA Tour play through, so to speak. Curiosity and a willingness to speak up were the motivating factors to get involved in PGA Tour policy. Yeah, you know, uh, I'd say, I don't know how I, I guess how I got started on doing all that stuff. Like I said, when you're a young kid on tour, you're just trying to keep your job. And then then you start wanting to learn the ins and outs of the PGA Tour. And uh, We don't have a union like other sports do, so our player advisory council is pretty much our union is our players that uh, stick up for ourselves, make the rules, and makes the tour better for the players. And and I started doing that and represented my time or gave my time to do that. And I I wanted to dig deeper in how the tour works and how it functions. And that's when I ran for the board and was able to be on the board of the PGA Tour. This is my second term on the board of the three-year terms. And that. I just started that term this year again. And uh, it's during COVID, it was amazing. I mean, I'm glad I was part of that uh, that time trying to figure out what what was going to make us tick again and how we were going to get through these obstacles. I mean, there was no playbook for us of how to handle this. We'd, we'd never had a shutdown before. We never had anything like that. And uh, to come up with those rules, I wouldn't have wanted to add anybody else than the 
four or five guys that we had players representing everybody to get us back out on the golf course and the tour working with us. And it, it, it was just, I guess I, I guess I want to say that I, I just would rather be a part of it than have someone else represent me. So I hopefully do a good job and hopefully the players respect what we've done uh, as player directors to just get us out back on the golf course and make sure we have the best environment professional golfers. It, uh, I think it says a lot that we don't have a union and we don't have other people representing us is how much uh, the players do donate their time and try to figure out and uh, overcome challenges that the, may may be in front of us to gain excellence in the PGA Tour. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't happen overnight, these these tournaments and these these criteria to get into the, get into the tour. And uh, it's uh, it's just fun to be a part of the process, which which I guess I enjoy doing. I, don't, I wouldn't consider myself a politician or anything, but I think why the tour enjoys, enjoys my time on the board is I'm not afraid to speak my mind. If I don't like it, I'm going to tell you. And if I like it, I'm going to tell you. And I think that's what they respect the most is uh, – just my honesty uh, in what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, uh, but without that, on my honesty and back to that direct feedback uh, and honest assessment, that's what attains excellent in my mind. It is being able to critique yourself and critique others. And not a lot of the time it's good critiquing, but uh, you have to obviously self-reflect. And I think that's what I, I do a good job of. Tiger Woods is known for wearing red on Sundays. But a little less known is the green Hoffman wears during tournaments in honor of his longtime sponsor, Waste Management. It's become much more than a player-sponsor partnership, and that's because Hoffman respects the leadership team and the company's mission, which is based in excellence. Yeah, when I when I first signed with them, geez, uh, two, I mean, sixteen years ago, I think it was right after my first win in '07. It was like they came to a few players probably looking uh, for an up-and-comer, and I was lucky enough to do that. But I think it's why I ended up with them is because I believed in their mission statement. I believed in what they were doing. At the time, it was Keep America Beautiful, Go Green, and uh, Recycling. I mean, you think about that 20 years ago, not or 16 years ago, not everybody was recycling. We didn't all have recycling bins, and that, that, was, that was their push. I mean, granted, they're a trash company. That was their push. And now to sponsoring... I arguably the one of the best events in all the PGA tour and have the biggest crowds anywhere. They're running an event that has a hundred and something thousand people each and every day and not a single piece of garbage is going into, into a landfill. You got re, only recyclables and only compostable product. I mean, to run a, a seven day event with, with hundreds of thousands of people going to and not have any footprint. I mean, how do you not believe in that company? How do you not believe in that what they do? And it's easy, easy to represent a company which you fully believe in. I don't have to make anything up. They they lead by example. They they are first and foremost the leader in their industry. I mean, from their from their their trash compactor or their trash trucks running on natural gas. I mean, as into I mean what they do for each and every community to try to give back. It's 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 a company that. I believe, and I've got the known leadership uh, in their company, and I've dealt with a lot of companies. And it's, it's a trickle down effect. When your leaders believe in what they're doing, it trickles down throughout the whole company. And I, and I solely believe the leadership is so good there. But the leadership's so good there because a lot of them have worked their way up from people that rode on the back of the truck, that picked up crash and understood the business, 
up to an executive position. And that they're the they're the people's people. They're the they're the blue collars. I mean, that's that's why. And I grew up blue collar. My dad working in construction, and I think I just I, I relate to them. And uh, and it's it's a fun company to be a part of. And they're, I mean, like I said, they're first and foremost a trash company. That's where they make their money. But they go out and go and above and beyond to try and do what's right for the environment. And that doesn't always make them money. That costs them money sometimes. But they're okay with that because they know they're doing the right thing. Well, we've come to the end of another excellence journey, and I thank Charlie Hoffman for sharing his. This has been the Magnifying Excellence Podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Holbert. Please visit xleet.com, that's X-L-E-T-E.com, and once there, join our Magnifying Excellence Club for free just by sharing your email address. You'll receive my new ebook, 10 Life and Business Lessons from Season 1 Guests, plus have a chance to win excellence gear. Another way you can help if you like what you're hearing, please share the Magnifying Excellence podcast with your family, friends, and coworkers. We'd greatly appreciate it. This just might be the podcast they didn't know they needed. Also, leave a review if you can. Another way you can help is by downloading our other episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Other guests have included Hall of Famers Bill Walton and Greg Maddox, entertainer Susan Anton, former FBI Director of Counterintelligence Frank Figluzzi, and others. So, another excellence journey concludes. We are broadcast from Las Vegas, the sports and entertainment capital of the world. Original music and production was done by Jay Hurley. Any brief celebrity quotes do not imply endorsement of xsleep.com or the Magnifying Excellence podcast. All rights reserved.